Hello and welcome to the Plaza Central podcast. Stay informed about Latin America's most pressing political, economic, and social developments. Plaza Central is a production of the Latin American program of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Hello and welcome to Plaza Central, a podcast by the Wilson Center's Latin American program. I'm your guest host, Andres Beal. In 2019, major social protests erupted in Chile as hundreds of thousands of people crowded the streets of the capital, Santiago, and in cities throughout the country. The protests came to be known as the Estallido Social, or social outbreak, and highlighted anger over economic inequality and unequal access to quality health care, education, and a dignified retirement. Gradually, citizen demands swelled and coalesced around an overarching objective, doing away with the country's 1980 constitution. Though the Constitution had been amended several times, it was still associated with the military dictatorship, which ruled from 1973 until the return of democracy in 1990. In October of 2020, more than 78% of voters approved the creation of a constituent assembly to write a new constitution, which delivered its proposed reforms in July. On September 4th, voters by a stunningly wide margin rejected the draft constitution. To discuss the results, I am joined by former Chilean foreign minister, Eraldo Munoz. Ambassador Munoz was a leading advocate for the return of democracy in the late 1980s, and he served as foreign minister under President Michelle Bachelet from 2014 to 2018. Prior to that position, he served as Chile's ambassador to the United Nations and to Brazil, and he is also the founder and former president of the center-left party for democracy. Ambassador, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Andres. And uh, the process that we just experienced uh, uh, day before yesterday on Sunday on a historical voting on a new text uh, constitution um, uh, actually uh, began in the context of the mobilizations of uh, the 19th of October uh, of uh, uh, 2019, uh, the so-called Estadio Social and what what followed. So this is, in, in a sense, uh, a, 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 the final chapter not a final, but a decisive uh, chapter, uh, for sure, uh, that we experienced. And uh, um, in this voting uh, on Sunday, what, what we witnessed uh, was um, a political earthquake, uh, a debacle for those uh, that uh, uh, were in favor of the approved uh, the new text of the Constitution because uh, they reject the uh, Constitution won by a landslide. Uh, 62% uh, for the reject, 38% in favor of the approval. This was a, a political debacle for the more extreme maximalist left that was actually behind the constitutional process that ended up in this text, and a defeat uh, for the government of President uh, Gabriel Boric, because evidently uh, himself and his coalition have been in favor of uh, the process uh, and uh, of the uh, approval, even though the president was careful enough to say that both the approval and the rejection of the constitution were legitimate options. But this was um, a, a political landscape. Nobody uh, thought uh, that uh, the reject the Constitution would gain 62% of the votes. Most of the opinion polls 
suggested that they reject my win, uh, but uh, uh, no uh, uh, company dedicated to opinion polls uh, were able to uh, get near the 22-23 points difference that ended up uh, uh, being the case. Uh, what what are some of the some of the data that so that people will will understand a bit better what happened? Sixty two percent reject, thirty eight percent approve. Why did this happen? Um, first, there was obligatory voting uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, because uh, in the past voting has been voluntary. I was part of uh, of, of those responsible for the plebiscite being with obligatory voting because when we were negotiating the so-called accord for peace and a new constitution on the 15th of November, 2019, um, I, I argued strongly that both the initial plebiscite as well as the outcome plebiscite should be with obligatory voting. And there was a, a big debate, um, and the leaders of the right opposed that both plebiscites should be obligatory, with obligatory voting. And in the end, we negotiated, and only the outcome plebiscite, in other words, the one that we held on, on Sunday, became uh, with obligatory voting. That meant that we had a, a historical um, fact that on Sunday, 13 million Chileans voted. Uh, the, the biggest number in the past have been eight and a half. So you go from eight and a half to, to 13 million. Uh, a lot of people that we didn't know how they would vote ended up going to the polls. Um, that, that meant that 86% of those that were able to vote ended up going to the polls. So uh, this was a, a, a major, uh, major surprise. Clearly, when you look at the initial plebiscite that began the constitutional process, uh, where the approved won almost 80% of the vote, uh, and President Boris won 55% of the vote, you can clearly see that many of those that voted reject this time moved from having voted approved in the initial plebiscite and having voted for Bodish and moved towards uh, voting against the, this uh, constitutional uh, text. And many of those that have not voted also clearly ended up voting uh, reject or no to the, to the constitution. A, a few more facts that I think could be useful. Um, they reject one in all of the regions of Chile. Um, uh, out of 346 communes in, in, in Chile, which is a, you know, the, the districts, the equivalent of districts, uh, they approve only one in eight out of 346. They reject one in high-income communes and in low-income communes. Uh, unlike what uh, um, 
many would think that it clearly would win in high-income communes. In fact, in some low-income communes, the percentage was higher than in high-income ones. And in the 10 communes with the highest numbers of indigenous peoples, they reject one with an average above 70%. So this was massive uh, uh, voting. That's why it is the equivalent of of a political uh, earthquake. Well, Ambassador, let's discuss the the reasons why behind that. So the margin of defeat, 62% to 38%, uh, was obviously far wider than expected. Um, And President Gabriel Boric said that still there's a clear mandate from voters to reform the Constitution. You mentioned the the close to 80 percent of voters that that supported some level of reform. So obviously this draft, there was something in it that voters did not did not like. Um, President Boric met with uh, political leaders uh, yesterday to discuss kind of the outcome and all of this. What 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 happens next? You mentioned uh, briefly, I think, before we started. Uh, recording a potential uh, reshuffle in, in the cabinet. I guess, in, in your view, what what really comes next for Chile, and are there aspects of the rejected constitution that are worth saving, or are other aspects that will be less controversial to 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 keep out of the of a new draft? Or what's the process for for those listening in terms of getting to another constituent assembly if that's if that's the next uh, pathway forward? Right, right. Let me, let me go first to the reasons behind this defeat for the uh, approval and the why uh, they reject one so uh, massively, so decisively. First, in my view, uh, is that the text was too long, uh, too weak, and too polemic. Um, and they not convince uh, voters. There were several aspects that were controversial. Uh, in fact, uh, I voted approve, and I my party was behind an initiative to um, put on the table several aspects of the text that should be reformed after the vote. Uh, we felt that there were weaknesses, there were errors, uh, voids that had to be I- improved. No text is perfect, and this was clearly far from perfect. So we suggested several aspects that uh, should be improved, and uh, actually, and all political parties that support the government ended up agreeing with the position of the Party for Democracy and uh, committed uh, themselves to uh, push ahead these uh, reforms in case they approve uh, where to win. Um, but there were obviously then aspects of the constitution that were quite polemic that that raised uh, uh, many doubts. The issue of plurinationality, I don't know whether there's a translation for such a term, uh, the idea that uh, Chile is constituted uh, then by several nations uh, that have territorial autonomy, budgetary autonomy, judicial autonomy, that raised uh, the specter of separatism of, of fracture of the, of the country and erosion of the unity of the nation state. Uh, whether that was uh, uh, actually a, a, a real threat or not, clearly that was a, a, a widespread perception. Uh, second, there was a, a polemic and doubts about the political system. The Senate 
was eliminated and replaced by a chamber of the regions with a lot less faculties than the Senate had in the past, and with with less of the of the uh, of the balances uh, that uh, that was uh, uh, recommendable in in a presidential system. Uh, there was also doubts about the elimination of the idea of the judicial power, uh, the, the judicial branch, uh, replaced by a judicial system and by a council of justice that could be politicized because uh, the Supreme Court did not have a majority in it. So th there were many aspects that raised a major, major doubts. So the text was the first reason. The second reason, in my, in my view, uh, was the process. The constitutional process was characterized by extreme opinions, by performances, by members of the, of the constitutional uh, convention, uh, by cancellation, by an attitude of uh, sort of refounding the, the country. Uh, and many individuals raised uh, uh, Polemic, uh, polemic uh, moments that uh, I think um, put distance between uh, public opinion and and the the, the the constitutional process itself. So the process was a, was a problem. Um, third, I think the immediate problems of daily life, um, the the increase. In violent crime, this is not new, but in the recent uh, times, violent crime has increased uh, in, in, in even in a more marked uh, way. I inflation uh, and uh, uh, problems of daily life that, that people feel more insecure and with the e economic uh, problems at, at home. And, and fourth, uh, a sharp decline in government approval. In, in, in six months, the approval of President Borgen and his government has, has, uh, has uh, fallen uh, markedly. And some then voted not only against the constitutional text, but also voted against the government. Right? So then I go to the, to the last part of the question. What, what is to be done? Uh, I, I think that uh, the people voted against a text, not against a new constitution, because it was very clear that in the initial plebiscite, people by, by a margin of 80% voted for a new constitution through a, a constitutional convention. Uh, and that, I think, continues to be the case, that that was a decision already made. So uh, that constitutional convention produce a text that has been rejected. So that now, in, in my view, what has to happen uh, is uh, a dialogue between government and opposition in Congress, uh, obviously led and helped by the president, uh, to begin then anew a, a process by which a new constitutional assembly or constitutional convention should be elected under new rules, uh, possibly the rules regarding independence and regarding um, uh, seats for the indigenous peoples uh, will suffer uh, changes. 
parity between men and women, I think is assured because all sectors govern on opposition, except for the extreme, the ultra-right, um, has already been agreed and there have been, there have been commitments uh, to maintain parity. Uh, but the issue of independence and the indigenous seats uh, are, are going to be uh, discussed uh, further in, in, my, in my view. Um, so, and are there aspects of the present constitution that can be uh, saved and carried on to the drafting of the constitution? Absolutely, yes. First, the idea of a social and democratic state. This is something that is in the constitutions of Spain, of Germany, and it's fundamental because it, it replaces the idea of a subsidiary state present uh, or underlying the present constitution, which is a, an, an absent state regarding the issues such as education, health, pensions, etc., where the state has to have a, a vigorous presence, not a huge presence, but a vigorous one. And, and that, I think, is a fundamental aspect of a new constitution. Uh, the idea of equity between men and women, the protection of nature, the protection of oceans, which uh, for the first time in history is in the present constitution, unlike the past, the idea of the decentralization of the country, all of those aspects, uh, uh, I think, should be carried on to the, a new draft, uh, along with the... Uh, draft presented by President Michel Bachelet at the end of her term that uh, former President Piñera, you know, put away in a desk and, and never saw the light. Uh, I think this is a time to uh, review that draft and consider along with the elements that can be saved from the constitution that has been uh, rejected. Uh, and the government will have to uh, do a, a shift in, in direction. Uh, I think what is going on right now, as we speak, there is a, a, a cabinet reshuffling. Uh, it's not a total major cabinet reshuffling. In, in fact, there have been some uh, problems with it, with the reshuffling because under uh, Secretary of the Interior was named and withdrawn. Uh, and the a former undersecretary that had been put in charge of the Ministry of the Presidency was pulled back to go back to his original post. Uh, as a consequence, the reshuffling that had to begin uh, a couple of hours ago has extended itself because of that. And, and many are saying this is amateur hour. Uh, and in, in fact, it has been, but... This has happened in the past with, with other cabinet reshufflings under Pineda, for, for example. So it's not new. This, this happens in, in cabinet reshufflings. But uh, that is only part of, uh, of what needs to be done. I think the president needs to uh, shift direction in order to save, and this is fundamental, in order to save his program, in order to save his major reforms, reform of the pension system, tax reform, which is absolutely fundamental, health reform. He has to concentrate now on saving those uh, fundamental pieces of his program uh, and sort of put distance in, in the next stage of the constitutional process. 
I, I don't think the president should put so so much of his political capital uh, in the politi- in the constitutional process and concentrate on his uh, agenda, on his program, uh, on as we uh, move forward. Well, Ambassador, I think we have time. I have time for one more question here before we end, and uh, I kind of want to bring it back to a little bit of how. Uh, President Boric will will handle this. You're saying he should probably dedicate more time to his domestic agenda and, and certain uh, legislation, and not put so much political capital into constitutional reform. But I'm just wondering, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. I think one response that President Boric had to this outright rejection of what was kind of a bulwark of his administration and government. Um, you know, his response was, you know, we will respond uh, with more democracy. Nevertheless, and and I'm wondering, in your view, you know, given your background uh, in 1988 and and helping to bring democracy back to Chile, what does all this mean for democracy, not just in Chile but in the region and the world, and 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 what does it mean in terms of uh, these types of referendums or reforms that are primarily driven by citizens and, and grassroots uh, organizations? What does it mean for uh, democratic reform and democracy is it is it is it a good lesson despite those that supported Apurevo maybe not getting the result that they had anticipated or or uh, is this likely to open up greater polarization within Chile in the in the next few years depending on what the outcome is with the new constituent assembly the uh, the response of uh, president Boric to uh, to this Cataclysm, I, I think, has been very appropriate. I mean, he uh, did a little bit of a mea culpa. Maybe a, a bit more should uh, be needed. Uh, but he called for dialogue. He called for unity. Uh, and uh, putting the uh, sight on on the future. So I, I, I think he, he said, you know, I heard the voice of the people. I heard the voice of democracy, and, and indeed, we need more democracy to uh, come ahead. And uh, uh, through dialogue uh, and political parties playing again a, a fundamental role, as we did when I was president of my party, when we sat down and we channeled the anger and the mobilization and the demands of the people in the streets in 2019 into the agreement or the accord for peace and a new constitution. And there is a, a moment, again, for political parties and civil society, for certain civil organizations, to agree on the new path uh, to the new uh, constitution. Um, I think one of the uh, things that one should rescue in a, in a fundamental way from Sunday is uh, the voting, uh, 13 million people voting. In my view, now obligatory voting uh, should continue to be the case and should we should pass a reform uh, that makes every election in the future obligatory. Um, I, I think that is, it, it, you just can't have half of the population uh, able to vote, uh, abstaining, from going and, and saying their, their word. Uh, so I think that if we talk about more democracy, we have to hear these people as well. And on Sunday, we heard them loud and clear. Uh, so uh, 
I think that's another uh, moment. In the next few days, I think there will be meetings between parties of the government and, and opposition uh, with President Bodich, uh, and then the access will be moving from uh, La Moneda Palace to Congress, because there is where the uh, reform, constitutional reforms will have to be made in order to launch a new constitutional process. There are some, but in my view, are a minority. I hope that they don't prevail. They are saying, no, we don't need, no, we don't need a new constitutional process, or we don't need a new constitutional uh, convention, but rather maybe uh, elect uh, uh, a number of experts uh, that could, uh, who could draft a new constitution, or even Congress uh, doing it. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think Congress doesn't have the uh, you know, prestige uh, in public opinion and uh, something like a group of experts, it wouldn't have the, uh, uh, the legitimacy, uh, the citizen support that, uh, that would be the case with, uh, uh, with a constitutional convention. In my view, a constitutional convention should be smaller and should have a more limited timeline so that we will end up with a new draft of a constitution, hopefully approved by September 2023, when it will be 50 years since the 11th of September 1973 coup d'etat. I think we should have a new democratic uh, constitution drafted by citizens, uh, by uh, this uh, uh, commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the coup. So I think that the time is short, uh, and I hope that this can be moved swiftly uh, so as to agree that we need a new constitutional convention, and hopefully we can elect that constitutional convention by January of next year, and then have a six, seven months period to draft it uh, by, uh, with, with citizens that could be supported by, uh, by uh, a, a committee of experts. That, I think, would be a good idea so that they could have the assistance of experts, but drafted in the end by citizens by a more limited number in a shorter period. Ambassador Eraldo Munoz, thank you so much for joining us and for your insights on Chile's recent vote for constitutional reform. Thank you very much for inviting me. You have been listening to Plaza Central, a podcast about Latin America's most pressing political, economic, and social developments. This episode was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. To learn more about our program, please visit wilsoncenter.org LAP. And please join us next time for another episode of Plaza Central.